0: This is Apologetics Profile, a podcast from Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. Here is your host, staff apologist
1: Daniel Ray.
0: 1868, Philip Brooks, a schoolteacher who struggled with trials and depression in his personal life, penned one of the most well-known Christmas hymns of all time. Quote, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary, and gathered all above. While mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth. And praises sing to God the King, and peace to all the earth. End quote. And in my own life, one often filled with similar struggles that Philip Brooks experienced, my first cognizant memory of hearing the gospel for the first time was in the early 1970s when I was probably in kindergarten or first grade. It came from Linus's monologue near the end of a Charlie Brown Christmas where Linus drops his blanket and under a lone spotlight recites a portion of the second chapter of Luke's gospel. Quote, And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. End quote. As we learned from last week's episode, the unique star which appeared to the Magi uttered no sound, but led them to the house where Jesus was. In the Gospel of Luke, a great light shone round about the shepherds, and an angel of the Lord proclaimed the good news of Jesus' birth to them. Then suddenly a multitude of morning stars and sons of God, an angelic host, broke into glorious song. The shepherds were sore afraid, as I remember Linus saying, but went with haste to find the infant Jesus in a manger just as the angel of the Lord had told them. Matthew chapter 2 and Luke chapter 2 are fulfillments of the words spoken by the prophets. As Isaiah proclaims, quote, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you and nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising, End quote. Also from Isaiah, quote, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And as Micah declares, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the end of the earth, and this one will be our peace. This is part two of our special combined Christmas episode of Apologetics Profile and Good Heavens. And here on Part Two, we further discuss various explanations of what Matthew's star may have been, but more importantly, we offer a reminder to us all of who the star is all about. Here once again is Watchman's senior apologist, Brady Blevins.
2: I'm Brady Blevins and welcome back to part two of the Christmas star. Uh, Part one was exciting as we started building and and understanding uh, all the different details involved in this. And I, hey, you know what, let's just, let's just jump right back in for you. So when we're talking about an occultation of Jupiter, an occultation, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this is when the moon hides a star or planets kind of like an eclipse. Is that, is that right? Yes. And then the,
0: then what Uh happens is the planet appears on the other side and and, um, then that's when the planet appears on the other side of the moon. That's, that's the the sign, if you will here now, Brady, we just (laughs) to bring up some old bones here. We just talked to Dr. Bart Ehrman. What uh, uh, was in October? Right. And, (laughs) but actually here's something I agree with Dr. Ehrman about. In regards to the star of Bethlehem, he makes a significant point that he's like, whatever astronomical phenomenon you might want to attribute to this, he said, here's the significant problem. He's like, go out in your backyard, pick a star, any star, and then ask yourself, yeah. over what house is that star? Mm-hmm. And, and he says, <laughs> there's too it's too high in whatever astronomical phenomenon you want to suggest. Uh, it's too high in the sky to be as pinpoint specific yeah. as the star is in Matthew that leads them and stands still over the house yeah. now and, you could, that's you, right. could argue, that's, you could argue you could argue that you know if you take Joshua 10 that god stops the sun in the sky if you will if you you can certain god could certainly take a, what appears to us as a pinpoint of light and move it around if he wants to um, but but I think I'm with Dr. Ehrman here. If you're looking for strictly naturalistic phenomenon here, the problem that you're going to run into is that nothing up there is low enough to our point of view to be as specifically guiding and directing and stopping over the house where the child was, where Jesus yeah. was. Yeah.
1: Right. It has to lead them to one house. Right. And yeah. uh, to do that, it has to be in, within our atmosphere.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, one thing on that, it's almost like we need to put the warning, Christmas card's about to be ruined. <laughs> uh, but, um, but I think that that's a great point in that, uh, you know, of course, we can say, hey, you know, God can, you know, God's God, he can do whatever he wants. And that's certainly um, obviously acceptable for us believers. We're not going to have a problem with supernatural But it almost tends to lean towards, uh, I think, what Dr. Ehrman is is bringing up because, you know, first of all, where do, you know, uh, initially, where do the wise men from the east come? Well, they go into Jerusalem and then, uh, you know, it's like a little more digging. Then really the only problem comes up is in the star appears again. So, um, you know, does that just mean, oh, yeah, look, there it is off to the... Um, and now I'm sitting here trying to think of where Bethlehem is in relation to Jerusalem. I think was it south, uh, south It's mostly south, yeah. southwest yeah. of yeah. of Jerusalem, you know, about eight miles. I mean, so is it just popping up again? Going, oh yeah, that's the direction we need to go, or do we see it literally just kind of floating right above the house, like uh, you know, ninety percent of the Christmas cards we see?
0: Well, and that's while you're while you're on the topic of Christmas cards, let's kind of picture through that depiction very quickly for for a listening audience usually you see a star over a stable or a manger with three men on camels or dismounted from camels presenting their gifts yes (laughs) and really what we're looking at biblically in matthew is so in other words if you were to write a paragraph about the common christmas card description it would not be scripture it would be it would be an error because the star did not appear over the manger uh, where jesus was born it appeared over the house uh where jesus ended up being in bethlehem and right
1: in, in fact to ruin the christmas cards even more uh <laughs> the uh sorry the, the, wise men, the wise men were not there when jesus was born
0: right right
1: and it says in in uh, matthew 2 verse 1 that it was after jesus was born that the wise men came to jerusalem
0: right Right, and so it's interesting too, because they, their stop in Jerusalem indicates that the star led them to Judea, the capital of Judea, um, but it it, it it wasn't specific in leading them to Bethlehem. When they arrive in Jerusalem, they don't know it's Bethlehem. they don't know yeah um, yeah, and so it's not so we can't I don't think we can say that the Magi knew the Old Testament because if they knew the Old Testament, the now the Jews knew the Old Testament. What did they tell Herod? The scriptures say the king is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, or the the, the king comes from uh, Bethlehem, and so they so they know their scriptures, but the magi don't know this. The magi don't know at first wh- exactly where to go, so they go to the king of Judea, which is Herod, and then well,
1: yeah, they had partial information. Uh, uh, no, they they did ask Herod a good question. They said, "Who is he? That, where is he? That's born." king of the jews. Uh-huh. Where did they get that question? Uh did did uh some of it, uh, did some Jews tell them that on their trip during the on mm-hmm. the way Where mm-hmm. had they heard of I have to wonder if they had heard of the uh, Balaam's prophecy. Yes. But somehow they heard something uh before they got to Herod. And
0: it's interesting too because <clears throat> compared what's revealed, we don't know how they know Jesus was born king of the jews. They say we've seen a star in the east. There's another ambiguity there. Did they see? Did the magi see the star while the magi were in the east, or did the magi see the star in the east? That the star was in the east. <laughs> we don't. The text is kind of ambiguous there.
2: And, and, and that's a that's a good point, Dan. Because another thing is, is that you know, could the could the star have come? Um, you know because uh, well one thing like even when my when my wife and I were talking about uh this episode and I told her what we were um talking about and she said she's yeah she was you know wasn't Jesus like two uh or or I mean wasn't he like a toddler like he was bigger when they got there right because you know they had to travel the distance and the fact is is that you know uh, we know that we know that Jesus had to have already been born But even then, we don't know the exact age because that, I mean, you know, obviously God could show them the star in enough time for them to make the track from, you know, Babylon, Persia, um, all the way to, uh, to Jerusalem and then on to Bethlehem. And so there, there's, I guess, I guess maybe the, the big point here is, is, uh, let's, let's not get too excited and get overly dogmatic, you know, um, and realize, realize our lim- be honest with our limitations, but realize that there is a uh, there is a framework for us to look at. You know, we we can we can kind of get the general area,
0: right? And I think the the important point is here that um, Matthew deliberately, whether he doesn't know, of course. Now Matthew was not Matthew himself would have been quite young at the time of these events because Matthew is writing 60 70 AD uh if he was born he, he would have been a contemporary of Jesus and probably would have written his gospel in his 60s or 70s so Matthew may have been alive at this time but this is not an eyewitness account that Matthew is writing now Matthew was an eyewitness as a disciple but this account is like the Genesis account where Moses wasn't there at creation, but Moses got this information. So it's another fascinating aspect to, to ask yourself uh, that this oral tradition uh, that existed or if it was written and we don't have the originals um, that this this was a, this was a widely known tradition uh, that Matthew takes note of. but um, we don't have all the like like a lot of things in Scripture. we don't have all the details maybe that we'd like to have and um and so the other thing too in our culture that's kind of i think in an anachronistic imposition of the text an eisegetical interpretation of the star is that a lot of contemporary theories even when i say contemporary i say going back to johannes kepler and the planetary conjunction we are looking at that this they were looking at this in a not Kepler, but prior to Kepler in and, and Jesus' day, they were not looking at this as a scientific thing, like all that gas, like you said earlier, Brady. But we, as a, as a very scientific culture that wants to know all the stuff we can know about the gas and the atoms and the molecules and how all that works, we're looking at this with, with scientific eyes that the, the ancients would not have even bothered to consider. Like, what was that phenomena made of? Was it a comet? Was it this? This is our culture's, these are our culture's questions. And it's almost like since we can ask these questions, we should ask these questions of the text. But we're not going to the – te- the text is not going to give us those kind of answers. And that's just the bottom line truth of it. that That's why there are so many offers, uh, uh, theories about what the physical manifestation of the star was. Because we're asking, quote-unquote, scientific questions and trying to come up with, quote-unquote, scientific answers, which the text's – absolutely just don't give us um so we've talked it we've we've i think the planetary conjunction is popular uh, because it's it's probably because of the date and the time and like as wayne said there was two of them in 7 bc which could conceivably um it seems to correlate with the double appearing of the stars. matthew's text says but uh, one another one that's, I don't know how popular it is, but it is often offered, is a comet. Um, now, a comet, Wayne, we just did a whole episode on comets on so Good Heavens. Go check that out. Uh, comets are gaseous. So if we talk about gas. Um, comets have a lot of gas coming off. Uh, they are icy, rocky things. And the, the tail you see is that this comet is caught in the sun's gravity and is flying toward the sun, and so you see all this gas as the as the comet heats up, it just starts steaming and gassing, just like just like if, if, if any water would if it was heated. But a comet in those days, and even through the medieval period, comets were omens, were bad omens. They were things that you run away from. You don't go following a comet. <laughs> you want them to go away. <laughs> yes. And so so the wise men, the magi in the, in this Greek. Uh, astrological culture they would not have been chasing a comet and going after a king uh based on the idea of a comet because a comet was a bad sign not a yeah king. they would
1: say okay <laughs> if it's pointing to israel then we don't want to go there <laughs> that's right it was a portent
0: a portent of disaster uh, not something not something not good news i think uh, there
1: is a scientific point to make about comets so uh, comets have been brought up because the tail of a comet people think that it could point better it, yeah, it, it's kind of right. like an arrow pointing somewhere right. but i don't think that really works as well as you might think it would because no a, a comet now a comet could be visible over a period of weeks sometimes it varies how long they're visible but um they uh, from night to night their position in the sky would change some because they're moving in relation to the fixed stars behind them because the, a comet is going around the sun, and we're seeing it from our angle when it's not far from the sun, so it, it actually wouldn't necessarily point to the same place all every night, and, it, right. could right. and it could move, and it could move, and the and the tail might look in a different direction.
0: That's right. And um, this past year, we had we had a comet, uh, Neowise, beautiful comet, uh, a new comet. We're, I don't know what the orbital period is, but it was a new comet, newly discovered. I went out uh, to my favorite dark sky spot uh, near my house and actually saw it with my own toe eyes. Didn't even need my telescope. But it was about uh, two hand handbreadths, two fists. If you stuck your fist out at arm's length, it would be two, fifths, two fists off the horizon, more or less, maybe two or three fists off the horizon. Uh, but as Wayne said, and I could see the tail clearly pronounced, but um, the tail... Like I, I couldn't imagine in in darkness where there's no light pollution, walking toward the horizon at this comet. And as I said earlier, you know Bart Erman's objection: walking toward this karma, this comet in the darkness when there's no light pollution. Like, when do I know I'm under it? When do I know that this is the house? Yeah, and, you you can't, you just can't know that.
2: Well, and go, and go back into verse number nine. I think we have a problem. And, and I stopped, and I stopped probably a verse short when I was reading the uh, the Matthew passage. Um, the latter part of the passage says, and behold the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was and and that's just not something uh that is um. That's in agreement with uh, what we know and how we know a comet uh, acts in the sky. You know, I mean, they, they don't just stop. Right. You know. Right.
1: right. I, I just don't see how any anything out in space could lead them to a house. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Um, uh, the other the other physical manifestation that sometimes is offered, but is not as popular as as maybe the planetary conjunction. Certainly is a supernovae, and uh, it was Johannes Kepler. By the way, who was the last human being uh, to have first discovered the last known supernovae in our galaxy, and that was in 1604? Uh, correct, Wayne? Is that when he saw it?
1: Uh, about, Ben. I don't remember the exact year. So just
0: yeah, just early into the 17th century. But Kepler was the last person to first discover the last known supernova. In our galaxy now, astronomers have seen supernovae all over the universe over the last 400 years, but the last known supernova to occur in our galaxy was in Kepler's time, and I think it was 1604. And um, but a supernovae is really bright, and this is this is why it's it's sometimes offered is because it's so bright, and it's 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 temporary. Well, it's temporary. It's not it's not in the sky um, all the time but the problem with the super the primary problem for me personally with a supernova and i think this makes sense is that this event this would have been seen by herod and jerusalem uh this would have been noticed by everybody because a supernova could be as bright as the full moon
1: well um, dan let's let's talk about this a little bit more on the science of supernovas uh there have been very few that have been witnessed by people in history and uh, i think there was right. one that they think was a supernova around 185 B no 185 A.D. I think it was reported by the Chinese. But and but supernovas actually can be too dim to see sometimes. They vary enormously in how bright they are. Yeah. Uh, and, but there have been some that are so bright you could see it in the bright daylight with the sun out. Uh, and But sometimes they they would be very, very noticeable to any almost anybody. Right. Well, not always. And um, the problem with that, with the supernovae, is uh, the, the range of years we were talking about, from 7 exactly. BC to 1 BC, the, there's just not any supernovas uh, in those years. Yeah.
0: Um, they, um, the Chinese, the, they have a, there's a, a mention of a Chinese astronomer's uh, recording anova, I think you said it it was uh, five, four or five b c five b c yeah. yeah it was five b c um you know but maybe the, but it's
1: it was called a what they what they would call a guest star what what is a guest star uh, astronomers looking into that more pretty much concluded it was a comet not a and it wasn't very bright astron- the chinese actually said it wasn't very bright, so it just doesn't seem notable enough.
0: Right, and, and I think that, that this, what we're talking about here, looking for these naturalistic explanations for what is obviously a supernatural event, right? The birth of Jesus, this is a wonderful one-time thing. And so it, it would make sense that a sign that would signify this wonderful one-time thing would be wonderful and one-time and just as miraculous. And uh, I think, uh, spoiler alert, the best explanation is, is not going to be found in looking for natural events. It's somewhat similar to trying to figure out what naturally could have caused the parting of the Red Sea. What naturally might have been attributed to the sun stopping in the sky? Um, how might you naturally go about turning water into wine? or what natural conditions could have led Jesus to be walking on water. Maybe Galilee, maybe there was frozen water below the surface, you know, these kinds of things. And you, this is our tendency in our modern scientific age to naturalize everything and to make, try to come up with a natural explanation for something that is ultimately supernatural. uh, Yeah,
1: I, I totally agree, Dan. Uh, there, There is one conjunction of planets that's been proposed that, Comes close in some ways, and it's kind of an intriguing one, and it's uh, a a conjunction between Jupiter and Venus.
2: Hmm. Uh,
1: J- Jupiter is pretty bright, and Venus is even brighter.
0: You can see them both right now in our skies. By the way, yes, uh, you can, and they're both extremely bright, and um, you can see them right now uh, in as we're recording this. Um, so, yeah, that would make a, a pretty dazzling, spectacular view. But again, like with Jupiter and Saturn, really people that were sky-watching, astrologers, would know that those those were two stars, not one.
1: Uh, Yes, but um, Jupiter and Venus are brought up because back in the, let's see, it was uh, 2 BC, well, 3 BC and 2 BC. This conjunction happened twice, Jupiter and Venus. In this conjunction, uh, Venus and Jupiter really do get very extremely close and so, it happened once in on August 12th of 3 B.C., and when it happened there, it was it would have been in the east, or rising in the east in the morning. And then, when it happened again, it was June 17th on two BC, in 2 B.C., and when that happened, it would have been in the west when they were setting in the evening. At sun
0: at sunset yeah, in the evening. Yeah, or mm-hmm.
1: after after sunset. Mm-hmm. So, now. Uh, some people would, if you hold to the earlier date for the death of Herod, they would people would say this was too late. But to me, the timing of this is about right. But you, you, and they also try to relate the first one to the ambiguity of the language. You know, the the, the if if they were Persians in Persia and they looked in the east, they probably could have seen this first conjunction between Jupiter and Venus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh if you go time go forward in time to uh two b c in june um now June might be okay for uh shepherds they have their flocks out in the fields, but the, um, the one significant problem with this is it, this conjunction. In 2 BC, they were so close that they really would look like one object. They really would look like one object because they were less than a, a lot less than a degree apart. But it may not have been visible in Jerusalem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And even mm-hmm. if it was visible, there, I've read conflicting uh, opinions from astronomers on this. And I'm not sure what, what, how, if I can resolve that, but I, I'm t- kind of doubtful that it was visible in Jerusalem. But even if it was, it would be in the West, and what the wise men really needed was something that d- would direct them south to Bethlehem.
0: Right. So it's not Another. really.
1: The, and then we still have the question for, that Bart Ehrman brought up about how do you get to one house? How do you? How does it lead them to one yes, house? Yes.
0: Whatever you put, whatever you put in the sky, has got to come down and stop over a house. And that's just not anything known in modern astronomical phenomenon. Whatever this was, was a one-time event. We've never seen anything like this. At all, what we might compare it to is like a UFO sighting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's that kind of, and I, I think that's a an, a good way to understand it because if you read in the gospel, as we're going down in like verse three of Matthew chapter two, verse four, what does the Bible say about Herod and all of Jerusalem's reaction to the Magi's arrival? Are they happy about this? Yeah. No.
1: So Dan, should we call it God's UFO? oh no well
0: no 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 the problem with the problem we can get it
1: we can get into the
0: ufo thing but once once you identify it it's no longer a u yes it's it's just a flying object and once it stops it's no longer flying it's just an object that's right (laughs) Yes. so you just have the o but 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 what were herod and jerusalem's reaction matthew records them as what herod was troubled because he's like wait i want to be the king uh, what What is this king born of the Jews? What do you mean? Am I not going to be king anymore? I, c- I can't lose my kingship. So he's politically, he's troubled. But why is Jerusalem troubled? Jerusalem is looking for a messiah. why Why is this announcement troubling to to Jerusalem? Why would all of Jerusalem be troubled by the news of a king? Well, one commentator I read said that if Herod's upset, it wasn't ever good to make Herod mad. Herod was paranoid. He killed his own family members. He was ruthless. Um, he did. He was a. He was politically, uh, politically shrewd, but he was also ruthless, as we see from when he ascertained, when he figured out when the star appeared, he slaughtered all the infants two years and two yes. years and under. So this guy was ruthless and vindictive and petty and murderous. So if Herod's troubled all of Jerusalem is troubled. But but again what what is the prophetic utterance here in Matthew? What is he setting us up for? Because the well Peter's sermon in Acts that when he confronts the the Jews, you killed your Messiah. You know, and and many of them that heard this were cut to the heart. What do you what what do we do? Repent and believe the gospel, you know? And this is I think what Matthew is doing here is is you know we're all ooh, pretty you know, we're back to this Christmas card idea. oh pretty, wonderful, isn't this so cute and wonderful and Christmas and all this stuff this this announcement of the magi and the star was deeply disturbing. This was scary this this, this something was happening, and people were freaked out about it. Um, it. and and it's it's you know, you see the excitement when you you know culturally, we don't really worry about what happens in the universe anymore. We're, we're not concerned with what's going on in the heavens. But it's, so it's really hard to conceptualize what culturally the impact of the Magi's arrival and the news that they have. Yes. Um, it, it's hard to conceptualize that this was at first frightening to, to Herod and to, to the people of Jerusalem. And um, you know Herod wanted to kill the Magi. God had to warn them in a dream. Do not return that way. Um, and when Joseph and Mary returned from Egypt with Jesus, they found that Herod's son was in charge, and they skirted around that. So, yeah, you just... know,
1: Dan, I think this is uh, so interesting. I think they, that the the wise men were kind of uh, uh, something to make make the Jews uh, think about who this child was and what this all meant. The, right. The, the magi didn't have all the answers. Right. And uh but it was a very thought-provoking thing that they did this and they brought these, they brought very valuable gifts uh, to give to the baby Jesus.
0: Right, right, right. And and the other the other thing that's really interesting to keep in mind here too is as this was revealed to the magi and whatever they revealed whatever they knew the kingdom of the heavens was no longer exclusively Jewish, right? The, the, the Old Testament exclusivity of God's chosen people, the offer of salvation is now being offered to the Gentiles. But, and I think there's a significant parallel with Balaam because Balaam was hired by Balak um, to curse Jacob's children, to mm-hmm. curse Israel. And Bala- uh, Balaam went along with it. He's like, okay, you, what do you pay me? You pay me for this, I'll curse them. And then God, God's spirit speaks through Balaam, and Balaam is blessing Israel. He cannot curse them, and Balak is furious. And, and so Balaam, out of the prophet, this pagan prophet, he pronounces a prophecy, all these plosives. Uh, he's pronouncing this prophecy uh, for a blessing over Israel. And like Herod, Balak is mad, and uh, like the wise men, uh, Balaam is not a Jew. He's not Jewish. And yet he's announcing the good news to, uh, about God's people. And so here come these pagans, these Gentiles, in Jewish terminology, who are announcing the good news uh, of, of God's own people. But ironically, what's going to happen, we know, that Jesus is rejected by his own people. But now the offer of salvation goes to the Gentiles. This is wide open. The the this offer of salvation is now being made wide open to the whole world and not just Israel.
2: Well, thank you guys so much. Um, so, ultimately, then, just kind of uh, I guess focusing on, you know, the the shortest answer possible. Go ahead and review what uh, Dan. Uh, I guess you can go first. Uh, Wayne, you can go second. Um, best explanation. Dan, you kind of already started to get into it, but uh, but real quick, out of all these options that we've talked about, short answer, what what's what's the best explanation?
0: Well, uh, I'll use two scriptures. One we've already alluded to, Balaam's prophecy. He sees a star riding out, rising out of Jacob and a scepter ruling over Israel. Jesus himself identifies himself in Revelation 22-16 as the bright and morning star. And so, Dan's favorite explanation is, I don't know. I don't think we can know. <laughs>
2: Spoiler alert. Come on, man. You didn't even let him say it. it <laughs> I,
0: I don't know. I think my favorite and best explanation um, is, is it's, it's, it's unknown. We just don't know. And it's, it's not that the, the scientific question of what this could be is not nearly as interesting or even as meaningful as what this star is pointing to. It's not the star himself. It's not the angel. You know, in the Old Testament, when men fall down and they worship the angels, right? The angels say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, Mm -hmm. That's kind of what we have here. Don't make a big deal of the messenger, but rather what the messenger is conveying. And so in wrapping this up, Psalm 19, this is what I want to suggest about this star of Bethlehem. Psalm 19 says that the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and the skies show forth His handiwork day unto day pours forth speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. But guess what? The next verse says that as the heavens pour forth speech, is there any voices? No. Are there any audible sounds? No. It's silent. And yet that voice has gone out throughout the whole world. So the heavens are declaring a silent glory of God day after day and night after night. That's what we have in the star of Bethlehem. We have a silent declaration of the glory that points to the glory of God. And this star, uh, the stars in Psalm 19 and in, the, in, the, in general are pointing generally to the general revelation of God uh, and his glory, right? It's a creation general revelation. The star of Bethlehem now is pointing silently, but specifically to the babe in the manger, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not about what that star might have been, but what that star is pointing to. It's pointing to the glory of God in Christ. And I don't think that we're ever going to know physically what it was. Now, if you held a gun to my head and said, tell me what you think the star is, I'm going to go ahead and tell you it was probably an angelic being.
2: Okay. Good deal.
0: That's me. Wayne, I, I'm not sure exactly what Wayne, I think we're like-minded on this, Wayne, but I, I don't think I've ever asked uh, you that question.
1: Well... Uh- I think it is possible it could be an angel cuz I think it was supernatural. I don't I don't really try to go farther than to say it was supernatural. Uh now I would say one of the things I don't think we mentioned is when the magi left Jerusalem to start on their way to Bethlehem, they saw the star again and they seemed to recognize it. It seemed it sounds like it was similar to what they'd seen before. Uh, and this time it was leading them to one house in Bethlehem. So I think it was supernatural both both times. I mean, yeah. uh, in, wherever they started, it was the same thing that they recognized from uh, when they started to Bethlehem. And so, no no light or object out in space could do what this did. It seems to me, and. Yeah. Um, so I think it's it's true Dan that we should not get too hung up on the question of what was it uh but what was it for is the more the right question. Absolutely. And uh I think it's interesting who God chose to make him to make his uh his uh spokesman. So right. on one one level it was the shepherds who were his spokesman because the, the angels appeared to shepherds if you look, read Luke 2 and uh, they, they were telling people in Bethlehem and J- Jerusalem, probably, about about what they saw. And I can't help but wonder, what did the wise men tell people they saw when they went back home, when, when, when they went back to Persia? What did they tell people about this baby and what, what happened to them on their trip? Right.
0: Well, and you know, too, and lastly, I'll just conclude with this. Go back to God's call of Abram. Ab- God goes... We don't know why. He goes to Ur of the Chaldeans and picks out Abram to begin the Jewish people. And so you have the, the beginnings of the Jewish people in Abram, and God's call to Abram. A, a, and then you have in the beginning of Matthew, God's call to these non-Jewish people. to, and, and as you see in Romans 9 in the Apostle Paul, that God is provoking the Jews, his own people, with Gentiles. He's converting Gentile people. To provoke the, his own people to jealousy, um, and so the Jews rejected him. Okay, I'm going to graft in the Gentiles, and now the invitation of salvation is not just exclusively Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but anybody who believes in faith in Christ is a descendant of Abraham, and so now the Gentiles are coming into the family to make the uh, to to make the the Jews jealous and to provoke them into salvation and, and, and so that is the wonderful story that God is, the offer of salvation is open to anyone and uh, I think it's wonderful that the gospel begins with this recognition of who Jesus is uh, the adoration and the worship of the magi of the Christ child and, and that, is, that, is, uh, that is why we celebrate who Jesus is because of what he's done for us um, uh, as the
2: Messiah I I think that's the perfect way to wrap up uh, this episode. Uh, this has been a great discussion. I appreciate the insight and the thought uh, that you guys have on it, the study that you put into it. Uh, I know it's been a blessing to me and, and I want to thank our listeners for, uh, first of all for listening all year long and uh, how you guys have have, have catapulted us uh, into the high level ratings um, on Podomatic that host us, and so in this Christmas season where we we give gifts so much, I, I just want to thank our listeners for the uh, the gift of listening to our program and sharing it with others. And uh, if if you have a friend, uh, tell them about our podcast and let them let them. Hear the things that we're talking about. Let it be a great conversation, especially if they're an unbeliever about uh, the gospel of Christ and how we're looking to share it here. So, thank you so much for listening to Apologetics Profile Podcast all year long, and we look forward to a great 2022. Uh, working hard to get another great year podcast lined up, and of course, uh, it's so great because of the work that you do, Mr. Ray, and uh, we certainly appreciate your effort here at Watchman Fellowship and what you do uh, to to make this podcast great, and uh, and I just want to thank you for that.
0: Amen. That sounds wonderful. Uh, Wayne?
1: And, uh, and Brady, I want to thank you for letting me join you this time.
2: Well, it was an absolute pleasure. Uh, Wayne, we're going to have to do this again sometime and get you to cross over uh, and uh, do, do another crossover episode and it was it's been a pleasure speaking with you this evening and 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 enjoying the uh just the time that we have and of course it's it's fun for me because i'm uh, normally listening, so now I can stop and ask you questions as they come to my mind. There you go. <laughs> because you don't answer as well when I'm when I'm listening while I'm driving to work. Uh, you, you don't answer as well. And I just I, I talk into my car radio and nothing happens. So, uh, but anyway, Wait it was a honor and a privilege to have you come and be a part of our program. And we, as always, just I appreciate your insight and. Uh, just your uh, your humble nature of approaching God's Word and reasonable, logical thought process.
1: Well, thank you, and I I would like to briefly mention my website. I mean, other than uh, the podcast, I have another website. It's called creationanswers.net. dot net, and I'm going to put an article on my blog about the the wise men and the star, which we'll talk about some of what we uh, we were discussing and and some more details. So uh, go to creationanswers.net, look for Answers Blog, and uh, that will get you to that article.
2: I was just going to say, that's a great website. Uh, I was, I, In fact, I was on it earlier today just perusing, and, and I highly encourage people go take a look. Uh, wealth of information is available.
0: Absolutely. And I just want to remind all of our Apologetics profile listeners um, that if you liked uh, our uh, interaction with uh, Wayne today, you can hear four years of podcasts about astronomy and the heavens and the Bible uh, and how it all points to Christ on um, our Good Heavens podcast. If you go to Watchman.org, you can access our Good Heavens podcasts, uh, four years of episodes. We are over 100 episodes now. Um, On the sidebar on Watchman.org, you'll see a little sidebar that will lead you to uh, the homepage for our Good Heavens podcast that can be found on Podbean. At uh, Good Heavens, the human side of astronomy, and Good Heavens can also be found on Patreon.com/slash Good Heavens. So if you are a Apologetics Profile listener, um, come check out Good Heavens. If you like Apologetics Profile, you love Good Heavens, and uh, we think uh, we thank you. And I'm with Brady. I said thanks to all of our listeners, both for Good Heavens and Apologetics Profile. Thank you to Wayne and working with all you guys. It's been wonderful and a blessing to 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 have both of you. Um, involved with this as well so uh, blessings to our listeners Merry Christmas to you guys and uh, Merry Christmas to all of you uh, our listening family
2: well thank you so much that, hit, that is Daniel Ray that you just heard and of course again we thank uh, Wayne Spencer for being with us and on behalf of those two guys I'm Brady Blevins and I want to thank you again for listening to Apologetics Profile we'll see you next time
0: This episode of Apologetics Profile has been a production of Watchman Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For more information on this and any of our other podcast episodes or resources, visit watchman.org today.